done. We certainly appreciate that. It really was well done, wasn't it? It really was. Thank you so much. Um, I would ask uh, for you to uh, take a look at your prayer ministry sheet. Uh, a few folks on there we need to pray for, as well as a few other things that I do want to mention. Um, our sympathies certainly do go out to Kathy Ridge and uh, her family upon the passing of her father on Friday evening. Um, this was not a surprise, uh, but things did go very quickly this week. Um, Guy, do we have a funeral date or a date for the service? I didn't hear of that. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. All right. So please keep the family in prayer. Uh, he was 95. 96. So uh, God has given to Kathy and her, her uh, siblings uh, a great father and a great amount of time to be able to spend with with uh, him. So uh, do pray for them as, as uh, preparations are in place. Uh, keep Dave Booker in prayer as well as uh, waiting on the results of the PET scan and uh, continue to pray for great wisdom and clarity of direction. Uh, they need to know that to make the right choice. And then I do want to mention um, Henry, and I can never pronounce the last name. John, where are you? Heberly. It's H-E-R. I, I always want to say Heberly, but Heberly. Henry Heberly. Um, he's not here this morning, but not uh, because he's uh, not feeling well. Um, they did take him to the hospital last Sunday, and he stayed there just for that day uh, against the doctor's orders who wanted to keep him overnight. Um, you know, I've been calling him, and I shouldn't call this, him even this name from the pulpit, but I won't call him the name. He, he is a, a bit of a stubborn man, though. And, um, you know, he was supposed to stay overnight, but he decided not to. And uh, they told him, no, you have to see a cardiologist this week. And I talked to him this week, and he said, you know, me and cardiologists, we just don't get along. <laughs> he said, you know, he said five times he's passed out like this in his life. Five times. And four of them, five, were in churches. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but those of you who said it was too hot last week, it was not the heat. He does, he just does this in churches. Uh, so anyway, he seems to be okay. You know, he's going to be back. He said he's going to give it a couple weeks before he comes back. He said, I'm going to go on the internet and listen to you on the internet. So I said, okay, well, thank you, Henry. Uh, you go listen to me that way. But he'll be back. Uh, he'll be back. But um, do pray for him. Uh, I don't know that he knows why. You know, he passes out. He just, this is just what he does. He bounces back and goes for his three-mile walk at Wildwood. So, um, interesting fellow. Good fellow. Um, so, keep praying for everybody on the, everyone on the list. Um, I would point out Gene Miller as well. Uh, we do need to pray for Gene. Um, we just need to bring him uh, before the Lord. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, we are thankful that we're able to do so, that this throne that we've spoken about already in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, this is a throne in which we come to find grace and mercy to help in times of need. And so, Father, as we look at our list, there are needs. Father, we certainly want to bring Gene before you. Uh, Father, one of the pillars of the church, one of the founding fathers of the church. Father, we're saddened each week when we uh, don't see him here with his wife Marlene. Well, Lord, we commit them to you. We ask, Lord, that you would supply them with a double portion of your grace. Give Dave and Kim great wisdom. We pray that you would clearly give them the direction that they're looking for to make the right choice. Father, we pray for Henry, Lord. He's become a, a part of our church, and we're thankful for that. Uh, Lord, an interesting fellow, and uh, Father, we're just thankful that you brought him our way. We pray for his health. We pray that, Father, you would continue to give him strength to be able to take his walks. We know he's very active, and um, we pray that, Lord, he would continue to be able to do the things that he enjoys doing. We pray that he would not have these, these passing out spells. Father, you would heal him 
of all of those things. We pray for Kathy. <coughs> we certainly think of um, the death now that has taken place in this family of her father. Uh, we ask, Lord, that as preparations are made for the service that uh, you would work out all the details and give comfort, give grace. We pray that you would just surround them uh, with your love and the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, again, Father, we thank you that he knows uh, Mr. Schiffer knew you. And we know, Lord, as we've been speaking in the book of Revelation, that to be absent from this body is to be in your very presence. I pray that that hope might just uh, saturate uh, these loved ones who have been left behind. So, Father, now continue to use our time together. And as we look forward again to opening the scriptures, Lord, I pray that uh, your word might go forth with great power and clarity. Uh, we thank you for the truth, Lord, of your word, the truth of the scriptures. For, Father, this is your word. These are your words to us today. Use the praise team to lift us once again into your mighty presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship the Lord by saying, He has made me glad. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. 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 I will rejoice for He has made me today and what an awesome day to celebrate uh, the Lord and celebrate what he is doing in, in the world today and in each one of our lives. Um, this next song that we're going to sing is, uh, you know, there's going to be a day when every knee, doesn't matter who you worship on this earth, um, whether it's Buddha or Allah or, or any other God, every knee, no matter who you worship, is going to bow before the name of Jesus, right? The name of Jesus and only Jesus. And, and today we're going to sing, Hail Jesus, You Are My King. And maybe you remember this. This is a, an older camp song. Um, but man, the words are just so great. We'll sing this together. Hail Jesus, You're my King. Hail Jesus, You're my King. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. I will obey your word. I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Glory, glory.
that he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. Yes, Father, that's our prayer as a congregation that we believe. Father, let us be an example, Father, to this community as we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take a moment to turn around and greet those around you? Give someone a hug and tell them that you're glad to see them this morning at Word of Life Chapel. Well, we do believe that Jesus is coming back. We believe he's coming back very soon. Uh, we spoke of that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Revelation chapter 4. And there we heard the words from Jesus calling John to come up here. And he did. The Bible says that he went up into heaven and he had this, this great vision. And we... As the children of God, we too someday will be raptured, we will be translated, we will be called up into the clouds, and there we said John saw a throne with 24 thrones around it, and we were part of that, or we will be, and we someday in heaven We'll be perfectly content. We will be happy. We will be satisfied throughout all eternity. But what about those who have been left behind? What about those who, when the trumpet sounds, do not hear the call to come up yonder? What happens to all the millions and millions of people who are left behind. What will they experience? While we're in heaven, experiencing joy and blessing and worshiping God forever and ever, 
What will those who are left behind experience here on earth? Revelation 5 tells us what will happen after the rapture, rapture for the saved. But starting at Revelation 6, we have information given to those who are lost and left behind. We call this time on earth the tribulation period. It follows the rapture of the church. And in Revelation, it follows verse, or chapters 4 and 5. Because when we come to chapter 6, we are introduced to this time which some have called the worst and darkest time the world has ever known. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, it says in this verse that it's going to be a time unlike anything, anything the world has ever experienced. Now this morning, we want to focus our time, most of it, in Revelation chapter 6 and touch on chapter 8 and chapter 16 because there are judgments that unfold in those chapters. But there's some information I believe we need to have before we look at chapter 6. Some information about this tribulation period. For example, when will it take place? How long? Will it be? What is the purpose of God bringing on earth such destruction and devastation? For those questions to be answered, I would invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. Turn to Daniel, if you would, please. Before we look at Revelation 6, look at Daniel chapter 9. Back in the Old Testaments of your Bibles, Ezekiel, Daniel. <coughs> now, Daniel was one of those young fellows who, when the Babylonians, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, came sweeping into Jerusalem, destroying the temple and the walls and the city, Daniel was one of those who was taken captive into Babylonia, along with many others, moms and dads and brothers and sisters, children. Daniel was one of those. And Daniel now has been in captivity 60 plus years. Daniel is no longer a young fellow. Daniel now is an older gentleman. And Daniel sits down one day and he begins to read the scriptures. And the scripture passage that he reads is found in the book of Jeremiah. And Daniel, as he's reading Jeremiah 25 and verse 11, he discovers that the children of Israel who have been taken captive into Babylonia are going to be there for 70 years. Jeremiah 25, 11 says that there's, the captivity is going to last a span of 70 years. And so Daniel scratches his head and does the math and says, we're only going to be here for a short time. Some believe that it's been 68 years that Daniel's been in captivity and the other Israelites and he says, we only have two more years left. And the Bible says in chapter 9 that Daniel, once he learns that, he begins to pray. He begins to confess his own sins as well as the sins of Israel. And he comes before God just pleading for mercy. While he's praying, we read in verse 21, it says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, 
He came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. So understand what's taking place here. Daniel comes to God in prayer as he's confessing his sins as well as the sins of the nation of Israel, knowing that the time of captivity is soon to end. Gabriel the angel comes swiftly to Daniel and gives him a vision understanding and insight notice what gabriel says verse 24 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to bring an end to sin to atone for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand, from the time the word goes out <coughs> to restore and build Jerusalem, until the Holy One, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It, the city of Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, <coughs> he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. One of the things we need to understand in this text is this Hebrew word seven. Several times you saw us, uh, you, you saw that word. In verse 24, it says 70 sevens. What does that mean, the word sevens? What it means is a unit of seven. In our language today, we have a familiar expression. We say something like dozen. Now, if I say to you, I have a dozen, you have no idea how, what I'm referring to. There needs to be a context. I say, I have a dozen. You say, I have a dozen pairs of shoes at home. I have a dozen tennis balls in my closet. But if I just said to you that I'm going to make you breakfast, um, and I'm going to scramble you eggs, and I say I have in my refrigerator a dozen... You then know I'm talking about a dozen eggs. You need a context. This word sevens is a unit of seven something, but we don't know what it is except by a context. What is the context? Well, the context is, is that Daniel just read from Jeremiah chapter 25, and he read there that there are 70 years decreed upon his people to be in captivity. So the context is years. Seven years are decreed upon your people. So when we start at verse 24, and it says 77s, who's a mathematician? How much is that? 490. 70 times 7 is 490, and we're talking about years. Years is the context. So... Daniel receives from Gabriel this information that 490 years are decreed for who? Your people and your holy city. We need to understand something about the tribulation period. 
Primarily, it's about Israel. 490 years are decreed for your people and your holy city. What is God doing through the tribulation period? Well, he does a lot of things. But primarily, the tribulation is about Israel. Elsewhere, it speaks about a time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Well, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was an Israelite. He was a Jew. Primarily, I say primarily because there's more things going on in the tribulation period, but primarily what God is trying to get Israel to do as a nation, something they didn't do the first time Christ came back, is to get the nation to accept Jesus as Messiah. It's trying to get Israel as a nation to accept Christ as their long-awaited Messiah. They rejected Jesus the first time he came. But the second time he comes, the Bible says all Israel will be saved. But it's going to take seven years of devastation. Seven long years, unlike any time on earth. Now, I want to show you a chart. This is a chart if... Uh, some of you are prophecy scholars. You've uh, probably have seen this before. But I believe this chart will help us to, um, to understand what Daniel's saying because he talks about a whole lot of things in this text that I just read. The beginning of the 490 years is a decree. There's going to be a decree. Now, in the Bible, there are several decrees. There's one by Cyrus, one by Darius, but most believe, I believe, the one by Artaxerxes is the, the, the decree that begins the 490 years. These 490 years begin when the decree is made that the Israelites can come back from captivity, go back into their city, Jerusalem, and rebuild it and restore it. So, 490 years begin with this decree. 445 B.C. Now it says here that there are going to be, when you see the word weeks, by the way, uh, just replace that with sevens. Uh, the old King James, well, I shouldn't say old King James. Some of you have the King James Version. But in your King James Version, it uses the word weeks instead of sevens. But it's really not weeks because, remember, when you need a context, we're not talking about weeks, we're talking about years so seven sevens again mathematician seven times seven is 49 years so if you read back over that it says that after 49 years jerusalem will be rebuilt then we start another 434 years and after those years it says messiah will be cut off the anointed one will be put to death Who's the Messiah? Jesus. In 33 AD, Jesus died. So, we start the decree. We start the 490 years right here. We have 483 years from the time the 490 years begin until Messiah is cut off. 483 years. Which leaves how many years left? Seven. We have seven years that have not yet been fulfilled, not yet accounted for. We now are living in what we call the church age. We've been living in this age for 2,000 plus years. And we know that at the end of the church age, we are going to be raptured right here. There's a day coming when Christ will come in the air and we will be caught up to be with him in the air. And then we believe that the seven years that have not been fulfilled back here will now start. And this is that period we call the tribulation. Now, if you notice at the end of chapter 9, it does speak about, in verse 27, he will confirm a covenant that we believe is the Antichrist. The Antichrist, at the very beginning of these seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel, a peace covenant. But it says that in the middle of the seven, in other words, in the middle of these seven years 
uh, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. So halfway through this tribulation period, he breaks the covenant and all hell breaks loose on earth. Now I know that's a lot to swallow, <laughs> but I, I think it's awfully important that we understand a few things. Number one, the tribulation period lasts seven years. And that we get from the chart. You know, there's still seven years left. And by the way, notice what it says here in verse 24. And I want to use uh, Rennie Showers. When he was here the last time, I bought his book on, the, on, on, the, on, on Daniel, uh, his commentary. Because notice what it says, seven these sevens are decreed for your people and your city, right? 490 years to finish transgression, to put an end to sin. Now, these haven't been fulfilled. These have not been fulfilled. To atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That hasn't happened yet. To seal up vision and prophecy. To anoint the most holy place. I want you to notice what Rennie says regarding these six things that have to be accomplished and will be accomplished when the 490 years have been fulfilled. Remember, 483 have been fulfilled. There's still one left. There's seven years left, yet future. To finish transgressions, he says this. The word translated to transgression has the root meaning to rebel. Gabriel was saying that Israel would stop its rebellion against God, would not stop its rebellion against God until the 490 years will have run its course. Israel has not stopped rebelling against God. They still are rebelling against God. They still have not accepted Jesus as Messiah. To make an end of sin. He says this refers to actual sins that they commit in daily life. These 490 years would run their course before Israel would end its daily sins. By the way, at the end of the tribulation period, what begins? The millennium, right? They go into God's kingdom begins. To make atonement for iniquity. Jesus Christ atoned for Israel's perverse sins when he died on the cross. But that atonement will not actually be applied to the nation of Israel until the nation personally appropriates it by accepting Jesus as her Messiah and Savior. To bring in everlasting righteousness, everlasting righteousness. When Israel repents and believes in Jesus Christ at the second coming, it will never rebel again against God again. So when Jesus comes back after the tribulation, not when he comes back for us before the tribulation in the rapture, but Jesus is coming back again at the end of the tribulation period. And at that point then, uh, Israel repents as a nation, believes in Jesus, and will never rebel again against God. To seal up vision and prophecy. Revelation that has come through vision and prophecy no longer has to be of a concern to people once the revelation has all been fulfilled. And then finally, to anoint the most holy place. He says a little translation of this phrase is to anoint a holy of holies. Messiah will come in his second coming at the end of the 490 years. The temple complex in Jerusalem will be anointed in consecration for God's service. So these six things have to be accomplished in order for the 490 years to be complete. These have not been fulfilled as yet. Therefore, we say the seven years are still future. And we call those seven years the tribulation period. I know that's a lot of information. And um, I'm going to give a quiz now. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to quiz you. Um, but um, I, I think this helps us understand a few things about the tribulation period. When? It's still future. How long? It's seven years. Its primary purpose is to give Israel an opportunity for the peace that she missed the first time that Jesus was here when he came riding in on that donkey 
and offered himself as Messiah to the nation. And when they rejected the Messiah, Israel to this day has been troubled and goes through trials and tribulations. That will not end, folks. (laughs) That will not end. We can pray for the peace of Israel, but that will not end until the end of the tribulation period when they go into the millennial period. And this time of tribulation is going to be awful, awful for Israel and Christians. Now, having said all of that, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation 6 through chapter 18, we have a description of the tribulation period. Most most of of the book of Revelation deals with a time in which we as Christians will not face. (laughs) Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about these judgments? And I want to deal with chapter 6, and you'll see that this is not a time in which we want to be on earth. We do not want to be left behind. So most of the book of Revelation actually deals with these seven years in the future. Okay, imagine the scene. Rapture takes place. Lord willing, this entire congregation disappears. We all disappear. We all, in an instant, in a moment, we are caught up to be be with the Lord in the air. But if we're not in church, suppose you're driving on vacation. You're driving down the interstate. All of a sudden, you disappear. Can you imagine the accidents on highways? Can you imagine airplanes driven by Christians? Well, I guess you don't drive airplanes. What do you do with it? Fly. (laughs) Can you imagine driving an airplane? You fly an airplane. Can you imagine a Christian in the cockpit? He's gone. Instantly, up in heaven. And the planes flying into buildings, crashing into cities. It's going to be chaos after the tribulation. That's when we come to chapter 6. We read in chapter 6 of judgments that are going to take place here on earth that those who have been left behind will experience. There are actually three judgments. There are the seal judgments in chapter 6. In chapter 8, there's what's called the trumpet judgments. And then in chapter 16 are the bowl judgments. In chapter 6, the seal judgments. In chapter 5, remember when the lamb went to the one sitting on the throne, he took the scroll out of his hand. We didn't really look at chapter 5 in much detail. And now the lamb, who is Jesus himself, he begins to open the scroll. And he opens these seals, these seals of judgment. In chapter 8, they're called trumpets. And the angel sounds his trumpet, like Steve on his trumpet, sounds his trumpet and another judgment is poured out. And then the angel will sound this, and another judgment poured out. We come to chapter 16, and we have what is pictured as a, the bowl judgments. Picture the bowl that's filled with the wrath of God. And the bowls are poured out upon the earth. Poured out upon the earth. And as we move through these chapters, each of these judgments, the, the series of judgments, gets worse and worse. So when I describe the seals in chapter 6, remember in chapter 8 it's even worse. In chapter 16 it's even worse than chapter 8. So when we open the chapter, it says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse, Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Many would suggest that this rider is Christ, because in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes on a white horse at the second coming in the great battle of Armageddon, uh, they would say, well, this rider has to be Jesus because he's riding a white horse as well. Uh, Not true. I don't certainly agree with that. Some would then say, well, maybe it's the Antichrist because the Antichrist is an imitator 
of Christ. So certainly if the Antichrist is going to come, uh, he would imitate Christ, that he would come on a white horse. Well, if it is Christ or the Antichrist, that certainly I would say it would be the Antichrist. But I, I like what the NIV Study Bible says, and he says it because none of the other riders, that there's going to be four horses and four riders. Uh, in the next three of the riders, we don't try to identify them. They're symbolic of something. And so I like what the NIV Bible, Study Bible says. It says uh, it's most likely the spirit of conquest. And the NIV Study Bible says this latter option establishes a more natural sequence with the other three riders, which symbolize, and then as we look at these three riders, the second one symbolizes warfare, the third famine, and the fourth death. So it seems to be more logical in my mind not to try and identify this rider, but just to say that it's symbolic of conquest. There's going to be a lot of war, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of life lost in these seals. The second seal is the rider on the fiery red horse. And we read of that in verses 3 and 4. It says, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And then a, another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. This rider, we believe, is symbolic of warfare. There's going to be a lot of wars. Uh, we know in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6 it says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war, murders, assassinations, widespread bloodshed. This writer causes uh, men to kill each other, taking away peace. <coughs> Seal number three, the rider on the black horse. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like the voice of the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. This rider is holding a scales. A scale is a balanced scale that's used for measuring. And most believe that um, this was used, uh, or this, was, this is symbolic of a severe rationing of food. That food was very scarce at this time. You know, many times after a war, um, there is a shortage of food, and prices go skyrocketing. And so this, we believe, is symbolic of a famine, a famine that takes place in the world during this early stage of the tribulation period. There's a rider on the pale horse, seal number four. It says, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was followed close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This rider on the pale horse is actually named for us Death. It symbolizes death. Because at this time, when this seal is opened, one quarter of the world's population dies. This is the greatest destruction on human life ever. Even going back to the days of Noah, you know, when the whole world was wiped out. The population was such back then, and will be when this day uh, happens, that there'll be more killed during this time than there were even during the days of Noah. We don't know how this happens. Germ warfare, weapons of mass destruction, nuclear fallout. You know, can you just imagine all these sources of destruction now being unleashed? Matthew 24, 8 says, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now remember, this is just the beginning of the tribulation period. Just the beginning we have chapter 8 with the trumpet judgments. We have chapter 16 with the bowl judgments that each get continually worse and worse and worse. Seal number 5 are the martyr tribulation saints. 
I won't take the time to read in verses 9 through 11, but you know there is going to be a revival during this day. In chapter 7, the, same, or the chapter that follows uh, chapter 6, we read about 144 who are sealed from the nation of Israel. Uh, we read in chapter 7 and verse 9 of, of a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language who will come to Christ during this time. Here's the problem, however. Most likely, if you decide to choose Jesus as your Savior during this day, you will be martyred. You will probably die. And that's the picture in seal number 5. The martyred tribulation saints who are under the altar. You go back into the Old Testament and when a sacrifice was made on the altar, they took the blood and they poured it out under the altar. That's a picture of these tribulation saints. The death. You know, people during this day are going to hate Christians more than they ever have hated Christians. You know, we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 that there will be a restrainer that's going to be removed. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't take the Holy Spirit off the earth. The Holy Spirit, being the third person of the Trinity, certainly is omnipresent. But we as Christians who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we are taken out of this world, right? We now are in heaven, and there's some sense in which the Holy Spirit, who is restraining evil today, will not restrain it in this day. Can you imagine no restraints on evil? Can you imagine the heart of man being evil continually as we read back in Noah? with the weapons and the instruments they have today, the, the destruction that is able to take, that will take place. And they're martyred, it says, because of the word of God and their testimony. Christians are going to be hated and treated in unprecedented ways. The sixth seal is catastrophe on earth. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. It speaks of a great earthquake. I just saw on the internet, I was going through the uh, different news things there, and it said there's a 99% chance of a magnitude 5 earthquake taking place in L.A. within three years. I can't imagine that kind of destruction. But here it says in this sixth seal, there's going to be a great earthquake. And I believe this is God's direct intervention into human life. You see, up to this point, it was mankind, his evil heart, that caused the destruction. It's man that caused war. It's man that caused death. It's man that... But now, God, he directly intervenes into the life of mankind. And some believe it's because he's disturbed and upset that martyrs have just been... that these tribulation saints have just been martyred. It's interesting also that at the end of this chapter, those who are here on earth, they know that this earthquake came from God. They have no doubt in their mind that this is God's wrath and displeasure against them. The world will know, and because of their stubbornness, because of their willfulness and their rebellious ways, rather than turning to God, they run to the hills, they run to the mountains, they run to the caves. They would rather have rocks fall on them, killing them, than to fall under the wrath of Almighty God. And this is just the beginning of the tribulation period. Just the beginning. We're not going to be able to cover all the chapters up until chapter 18. But if you want to read of the great destruction, read through those chapters sometime this week and learn of the great devastation that's going to take place. Let me conclude this way. You don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be here on earth during this time. 
when that trumpet sounds, and we as Christians hear the trumpet from heaven, and we hear those words come up here, you don't want to be left here on earth. There may be a chance that you trust Christ during this time. But chances are, if you do, you will be put to death. The Bible says that we need to repent today of our sins. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life. And what determines your future destiny is determined by what you do with Jesus right now. If you trust Him and ask God to forgive you of your sins, trusting the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, the Bible says you become a part of God's family. You become a Christian. You become saved, a born-again believer. It's what you do with Jesus now determines whether you're going to be called up yonder or remain here for those seven, year, seven years of great destruction. To you who are Christians... We don't have to fear these judgments. We're not here. We're in heaven during these seven years on earth. We're surrounding the throne of grace. And we're worshiping. And we're satisfied. And we're happy. And we're being blessed. So what is the challenge for you who know the Lord this morning? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this. Those of you who have this hope in you, the hope of Jesus coming back and you being taken up to be with him in the air. It says you need to purify yourselves. You need to purify yourselves. In other words, the same challenge to unbelievers to repent is your challenge. We too need to repent of those daily sins. Lest Jesus comes and finds us in some terrible situation doing something that we ought not to be doing. We need to be ready because we believe that trumpet might sound at any moment. And so those in 1 John chapter 3 who have this hope, this blessed hope of the rapture, we must be purifying ourselves. We must be turning away from sin so that when Jesus comes back, he finds us watching we're going to close by singing that chorus that we've sung before. It's probably been a little while since we've sung it. It's entitled, Purify My Heart. Touch me with your cleansing fire. Take me to the cross. Your holiness is my desire. Breathe your life in me and kindle a love that flows from your throne. Oh, purify my heart. Purify my heart. We who have this hope in us, we need to purify ourselves. If you're here this morning and, and you're just not sure, you say to yourself, you know, I, I don't know. You've talked about asking Jesus to come into my life, about the forgiveness of sins, but I have some questions. I, you know, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I know that. I don't want to be here for this seven years of tribulation, but I don't quite have that great assurance that you know, when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to be called up yonder. If you don't have that assurance, would you say something to me as you leave or call me this week? I would really love to just sit down with you and just look at the scriptures and, and show you how that you can be assured that you're not going to be left behind. Listen, you don't want to be left behind. I, I know, you know, there are some evangelists who use the scare tactic, you know, to get people in heaven. Um, I don't know how much scarier it gets than this. And I'm not really a scare tactic kind of person, but it doesn't get much scarier than Revelation 6. And that's just the beginning. Let's stand together. Let's stand and let's sing, Purify my heart. Touch me with your cleansing fire. <clears throat> Pure. Touch me with your cleansing fire, take me to the cross, your 
pray that your spirit this morning, the spirit who convicts of sin, the spirit who draws to Jesus, would continue to work in the hearts of all of us this day. And Father, if there is one who just is not sure whether or not they're going to hear that trumpet sound, that Father, they might make sure today. Help them not to go another day without the assurance of knowing that when Jesus comes, they're going to be with him. So we thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. We thank you for your word, the power of it. Continue to use your word in every way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.